Good evening, everybody. If you would like to go ahead and stand up, we're going to go ahead and get started with our worship.
this next song is a bit of a newer song, um, but what I really love about it is how it talks about, um, in every verse and in every chorus, the amazing things that Jesus and God have done for us and how we can do nothing in return but exalt them and praise them. And um, It's just every verse and chorus is tweaked a little bit, a little bit different to just represent the character of God and um, the grace and the mercy and how just God is and how wonderful it is. of grace is Jesus my Redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace
Come be still my life. 
with me please <laughs> Heavenly Father I just thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to um, worship you to spend time with you to learn more about you despite the storm thank you for staying the same God I thank you that you are the same yesterday today and forever I thank you that we can depend on you and trust on you because we know that we are not sufficient we know that in you alone you are our safety our Savior. We thank you for that, God. And we just lift up your name tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lindy. It's been exciting to see how God continues to just raise up people and, and the gifts that he put within the body. And Paul and Christine are able to be away um, this weekend and spend a little time um, away, a little R&R, some well-deserved. And so we uh, are just grateful that God brings other people along that can lead us in worship and, and take us before the throne of, of God with, with music. As we gather tonight, the snow is falling outside and the moisture is just abundant. And from my background in agriculture, this is what we call a million-dollar storm. Um, just because it comes in such a way that it soaks in the ground and makes for great grass and, and for the cattle and, and gives the, the fields a subsoil moisture to begin with. And, and it's just an awesome thing. And so in the, in the discomfort that it causes a lot of us as far as getting around and doing the things that we want to do, it's also a blessing of God for many around us that are in, involved in agriculture. I just want to spend a, a moment as we start tonight and just kind of pray. Uh, for safety and for the the storm and and what that's going to look like in our midst. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you as we look outside and and see the moisture falling, and it just reminds us that that you, God, are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so we thank you for your provision. Uh, we know that it's been dry and dusty in our part of the world, and and this is your provision for us. And we thank you for that and acknowledge that. Father, we pray for the storm and as it just continues to get worse as predicted and, and we pray for those that have to be out in the elements, uh, the public servants and, and the law enforcement and the first responders and the utility workers and all of those that, that take such good care of us. We pray for their safety and your provision in these days. Uh, we pray for the livestock producers that you would keep their animals safe and, and that you just would provide for them in, in, in this time of, of difficulty. Um, Father, it reminds me of just how you pour down into our hearts that which we need, that which refreshes us and, 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 and lifts our spirits and, and causes new growth. And, and so as we look at the reality of the world and quietly shove a knife between the sections of their armor, they promoted violence, they promoted the overthrow of the Roman government. And a f- referral that... that, that Luke is talking about in this particular account was that there were zealots that had taken the lives of Roman citizens and the Roman soldiers caught up with them while they were in the temple offering their sacrifices. And to the Romans, the temple was not significant. It was just another place that the Jews frequented and went to. 
And so the Roman soldiers had come in and they had killed these zealots while they were offering their sacrifices in the temple. And of course to the Jews that would have been an, an unspeakable evil, an unspeakable tragedy. And that's what G Luke is talking about here is that, that the blood of these zealots that were killed by the Romans was mixed with the blood of the animals that was being sacrificed there in the temple. The essence of what Jesus is talking about is that when we see something horrible happen to somebody else, our immediate or first thought is that that calamity is a symbol of God's judgment on them. The worse the calamity, the worse the sin. That's an internal thought process that we each have. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we see a similar type of, of question that was asked. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. When Job was met with a calamity in, his, in, in, the, in the narrative of, of his life, the first response of his friends was very similar. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I observe, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap trouble. Jesus confronts the self-righteousness of his disciples and the Pharisees. That inward, secret, quiet mentality that we hold that somehow we are better off than other people. We're less sinful. We're less depraved. We're less fallen. That we don't deserve the full wrath of God. But Jesus quickly sets them straight. I tell you no, unless you repent, you too will all perish. The essence of self-righteousness is that I am better than those around me. I'm not as bad a sinner. I'm, I'm better. The question that Jesus poses, the unwritten question, is that rather than ask, why them? The question that needs to be asked is, why not me? Why not me? If you get the opportunity, I would encourage you to, to Google the name Vadi Bachman. He's a, a, a scholar and a, just a tremendous um, apologist, Christian apologist. And he has a little six-minute video in which he answers the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And if we had time tonight, I, I would love to play that for you, but I would encourage you to just look it up. Because it's just, to me, it's the, the best answer to that question that I've ever heard. But the, this is the essence of what he said, and I, and I quote in this regard. How on earth can a righteous and holy God who knows what I thought and did and said yesterday not kill me in my sleep last night? We believe that the problem is out there with people out there. We believe that there out there are some individuals who in and of themselves deserve something other than the wrath of Almighty God. Why is it that we are here today? Why is it that He has not consumed and devoured each and every one of us? Why, O oh God, does your judgment and wrath tarry?
That's a reality in which we all live. Prior to coming to Christ, we rest fully under the condemnation and deserved wrath of a holy God. And when we choose to try to quantify whether somebody is deserving or not deserving of judgment or a calamity, that reveals the self-righteousness that we have within each one of our hearts. The question that, that I wrestled with this week, that God and I wrestled through, what's the evidence of self-righteousness in my life? If my anger and rage and intolerance towards the sin I see in others is greater than the anger that I feel towards my own sin, that smacks of self-righteousness. That means that somehow I believe that my sin is not as significant and not as bad as those around me. Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about wrestling with this sinful nature that's within him. And he makes the statement, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, if you notice the first, if you remember the first two phrases, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, those two things both speak to the fact that the first thing we have to recognize in our relationship with God is our bankrupt holiness. We have nothing to offer God. We're totally at His mercy. And it's only as we recognize that and we begin to mourn over our own sinfulness that God can be able to, by the blood of Jesus, restore us and make us right in His eyes. So the first thing that Jesus talks about in this passage that we need delivered from is from our own self-righteousness. The second thing we see is in verses 6 through 9, and that's our impatience. Then He told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three days now, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. We're great at evaluating. I find that one of the, the flaws of my personality is that I'm, I'm black and white and I evaluate things and, and whenever I come into a circumstance, immediately I'm evaluating is the effort worth the potential outcome. And in reality, we do that same thing with other people and we do that same thing with ourselves is the change that God wants to make in my life, is it worth the effort in the power of God to bring about that change? What that does is it, it shows or gives evidence of an inflated view of the importance and the significance of, of my time and resources. Is it worth my time? Is it worth my resources for, to put into this person or to invest in this life? Or to in, is it worth my time? And we find often that we are impatient, not willing to put in the time that it takes for fruit to be bore. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, since we're in an ag community, it makes perfect sense to us. It talks about reaping and sowing. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reach, reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Impatience. Think about the process of planting a seed. Three principles that Jesus brings to light here. First of all, when we plant a seed, the harvest always comes later. We don't plant and harvest the same day. There's a period of time, and that time requires patience. What we sow is the same thing that we reap. If I plant a corn seed, I get corn in return. If I plant wheat, I get wheat in return. And so it's in the same kind. And then also is referred to we get more than what we get back. But there's a period of time in which between when we invest and when we see the fruit of that. And sometimes we, analyze, we, we try to analyze that and say, is it worth my effort? Is it worth my resources? And, and the sad thing is we do that with people around us. We do that to ourselves as well. Is it worth my time? Acknowledging that the increase has to come from God. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God needs to deliver us from our impatience. Not only with Him working in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. The third thing I see that Jesus addresses in this passage is what I call expedient sacrifice. Expedient sacrifice. Verses 10 and following. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Expedient sacrifice. The real question that the, that the synagogue leader raised was, she had six days during the week that she could have come in here and asked you to heal her. So why would she have to come in and choose to come in on the Sabbath? A day that is normally set aside for rest. And their attitude was, this person that needs something, that needs healing, that needs encouragement, that needs whatever, they need to come at a time that's appropriate and acceptable and doesn't cause a hindrance or an inconvenience for me. I want to serve, I want to help when it fits within my schedule. So many times God works in the inter interruptions in our daily life and He brings people in and out during the course of the day because He intends and desires for us to minister and encourage. And yet, if my schedule is so full that I don't have time for those interruptions, and I want those interruptions to come in a time that's expedient, that's convenient for me. 
Jesus needs to deliver us from expedient sacrifice, desiring to give to God that which is convenient and easy and fits my schedule. I love the story of, of David in Second Samuel chapter 24 in, in which he was out with his men and he went, came in and God said, offer me a sacrifice. And so David went into this place to offer a sacrifice and the, and the ruler there said to David, here's some things that you, can off, that you can offer as a sacrifice and I want you to have them. I don't want you to pay for them. They're just yours to sacrifice. And David's strong response to the man was, I will not sacrifice to God that which cost me nothing. God needs to deliver me. He needs to deliver us from expedient sacrifice. Just recognizing the fact that I want it to be convenient. I want to serve God when it's convenient. The next thing that Jesus brings to light is what I refer to as squandered potential. In verses 18 through 21, then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the bird perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. As I read that passage this week, I chuckled because I... Um, very definitively, I think last week shared with you that whenever you see a reference to yeast in, in yeast in Scripture, it's always talking about sin. Well, in this passage, it's not talking about sin. So I use the word always, and I shouldn't use the word always. Generally, that's that's one of the things in, in my house when Bobby and I are having a frank discussion, and I use the comment always. She's always quick to dis, to uh, correct me that no, it's not always. It happens sometimes. So anyway, this is a, a, a place where the principles and the characteristics of yeast Jesus uses in a different light. So what's he talking about here? Seed that must be planted and nurtured in order for a plant to grow. Yeast that must be introduced and mixed throughout the dough in order to have an effect on the dough itself. What I see in this passage is a reminder that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that there is this potential of what God wants to do and to work in our lives. And yet oftentimes we're not willing to put in the spiritual effort to plant the seed or to mix the yeast into the dough and really allow it to, to fully influence and change us into what God wants us to be. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you realize as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ that verse tells us that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is working in our lives. And yet, we squander that potential. We give God a little bit here and a little bit there, but we don't allow the fullness of the power that's at our disposal 
as followers of Jesus Christ. I add a little Jesus to my life instead of putting Jesus in the midst, in the center of my life and allowing him to influence all that is my life. In verses 22 through 30, we see Jesus referring to the fact that he needs to deliver us from missed opportunity. Then Jesus went to the towns and synagogues, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will, you will, be, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you have come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, prior to coming to faith in Him, there is a door of opportunity that's open to us. Jesus makes His salvation available. This, as the Spirit of God opens our eyes to our need of the Savior, that door of opportunity is there for us. But the reality is, in the same way that during the flood, God closed the door of the ark and at the moment that door was closed, no further opportunities presented themselves for those to be saved. Jesus needs to deliver us from missed opportunity. Once that door of opportunity of salvation is closed, the opportunity has gone. It's gone forever. We can delay. It's gone. The other thing about this passage, that this particular passage that just resonates, and, and, and I guess it's, it's troubling to me, is that when they argue in verses 26, we ate and drank with you and we taught in your streets, and the owner of the house will say, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all of you evildoers. That reminds me of a passage in Matthew's Gospel in which it talks about those that are going through the motions of faith. They haven't really put their trust in God. They're doing spiritual things, but they haven't really entered the door of salvation. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. To me, that is one of the most frightening verses in any of Jesus' teaching. Because the people that are described in that verse are people that we would call church attenders. People that appear to have a faith in Jesus Christ. They're involved in service. They're involved in ministry. They're involved in all kinds of spiritual things. And yet, at the end, it's revealed to them that they had never entered the door of salvation. They were going through the motions of spirituality, but they never had trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. So we need for Jesus to deliver us from missed opportunities. 
Either the missed opportunity of salvation, that once that door is closed, the opportunity is gone for eternity. We need to not miss the opportunity to engage in the fullness of the relationship that God intends for us to have with Him. And the service that comes out of that relationship, not in the absence of it. The last thing that Jesus mentions that we need delivered from is from a spurned invitation. Verses 31 through 34. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow for the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. And then notice verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you were not willing. A spurned invitation. Jesus said throughout the history of the nation of Israel, God sent prophets and teachers and godly men to you to share the message and what God was going to do and what he was going to do in bringing Jesus a Savior. And what was your response? You stoned and you killed those that God sent to you with a message of hope. Not only did you reject the message, but you killed the messengers. You spurned the invitation. And I can't help but notice the contrast of the fact in this spurned invitation, yet the tenderness of the response of God. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. The reality is for each one of us, we're going to stand before the risen, exalted Christ. And who He is to us is dependent upon the decision we make. If we acknowledge who He is and we acknowledge our own sinfulness and our need of Him and the fact that we're unholy and we're fallen, then we stand before Him as our Savior whose righteousness has been placed upon us. We embrace His forgiveness and His mercy and we acknowledge Him as our Savior. If we choose not to accept that salvation, then we stand before Him as our judge. And it's not just an uh, uh, unrelated third-party judge, but it's the judge to whom we have rejected His message and offer of salvation. A spurned invitation. Not only did we reject the message, but we rejected the messenger. Rejected His love. Rejected his offer of salvation. In this, each of these areas that we've talked about tonight, we need deliverance. And that deliverance can only come through the means that we find in Jesus Christ. We need the power of Christ to deliver us from ourselves, from our self righteousness and our impatience and our convenient sacrifice and our squandered potential and our missed opportunities and our spurned invitation. I am my own worst enemy when it comes to experiencing the fullness of what God wants for me. 
It's not others' fault. It's not my family's fault. It's not society's fault. It's not the government's fault. But it's me. It's that fallen nature that's within me that keeps me from experiencing what God wants for me. I would encourage you, I know many of you will be watching this at home online tomorrow, but I would just encourage you to take a few moments to yourself and go through the things in this list. The reality is we struggle. Every one of us struggles in one manner or another with these things. And we can't muster up enough strength on our own to be delivered from them. It requires God working in our lives. And so I encourage you to just take a few moments and sit down in just a quietness with you and God and say, God, I confess to you that this is a problem, that I'm self-righteous. I think more of myself and, and less of my own sin and more of the sin of those around me, whatever the case may be. And just ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you those things that you need delivered from that are part of my personality and my fallen nature because of Adam's sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for tonight. These are heavy things because if we're honest with ourselves, they're evident. They're evident in our lives nearly every day in some way or another. And so, God, I pray that by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would deliver us from ourselves. Father, may we not be overwhelmed by all the different things we've talked about tonight, but may we be obedient to the thing that you put your finger on, the area in our lives, each of our lives, that you know we need delivered from. We ask you to do that for your power, by your power and for your glory alone. I pray these things in your name. Just encourage you to spend some time reading through these verses and seeing what God has for you. And, Lord willing, we'll be back together in person um, next weekend. You're dismissed.